Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. For this morning, uh, beyond announcements, we are in week two of what's going to be really a pretty short seven-week series over the book of Titus. If you'll watch the weeks, this is going to take us right into uh, Advent. Uh, so, hey, we planned. Um, uh, but in this book of Titus, what we saw last week is this is a book that's calling us towards what is called uh, the good life, which is a life that models in action what it says it believes because a beautiful transformation has taken place in the heart through uh, Jesus. So we're going to see these calls to, uh, to goodness and godliness throughout the book. But what may surprise you is, is really while the focus is still living out this Uh, the good life, Paul starts aiming at helping church members uh, to get there and do this by first addressing uh, their leaders. If you're following, that that may be an unexpected thing for us to read. It's as if Paul says, okay, uh, do do you want help in growing in grace and in godliness and in goodness and growing in uh, your faith? Do you you want that? And, And we respond, yes. He's like, all right, cool. Let me talk to Titus about your leaders and we'll get there. Like, He's going around in a way that may just not seem normal to us. He's going to help the church grow by helping them with their leaders, which just tells us one thing. In a world uh, where where, where the elimination of professionals is is quite large, what we need to understand is that the Bible tells us that that leaders are important to the people being led by them. And and healthy churches are going to have healthy uh, leaders, and, and this is really a, a biblical thing, and we're going to learn about that in the text today. Uh, before we read the text, like you know my thing, I normally want to ask you a question, just to prod the kind of information that is uh, going out uh, ahead of us. So the question that I would just lay before you to think about is, uh, how do you feel about leadership affecting your life? Like, what does that do to you internally? Does it bother you that the Bible uh, kind of hooks the idea of a good leader over uh, your faith and its growth? Does that bother you? Does it offend you that the word says that you need good leaders over you? Or does it comfort you and you're totally cool with it? I, I think there's value in our world. There's a lot of distrust all around us in all places. There's value in just kind of a heart temperature check going, how do I feel about leaders and being led in general. No matter where you landed on the question, one of our hopes for today is that you'll walk away realizing that the church needs healthy elders and even more healthy elders. Uh, We want to begin to pray together, uh, not just as the elder team, but as all the church, uh, that that we would uh, grow in our our faith and that God would raise up more elders here. And here's kind of behind the the, the curtain stuff of the longer-term plans of what we want. We want to develop more elders here, uh, not just to lead here and help here and guide here. Uh, We have been what we've lovingly called sugar mamas to to many churches over 10 years, right? We give 10% of our money away, several churches we've helped, and that's a great part of what we have done. But here's the thing that we want to get towards. We don't want to just fund with money other churches. We want to raise up people that they can lead us uh, or they could go to to Boonville or Fulton or anywhere else around, wherever they want to go and and start another church. Man, it would be great to have a season where God just grows many godly people uh, to lead his church. And and that is the hope in here and in other places. And that's what we'll dig into uh, today. So in Titus uh, chapter one, verses five through nine, short section, Uh, But it says this, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or a violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I'll just tell you ahead of time, we were tackling a verse on elders. Like I didn't even know we were doing the whole pastor appreciation thing. So I didn't like, like try and, you know, line those up on purpose, but uh, they did and it's, it's cool. Uh, but it's like, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> uh, to understand this text a little bit and to really make it make sense for us, we have to contextually understand what's happening when it's being written. Remember, Paul and Titus originally went to Crete together to minister there, right? They're, they're going to share the gospel, but it's not like they went to go build up or encourage an existing church. They're not going to, to a neighboring place, to a church that's already off the ground and going well and just going to try and encourage them and help out with a couple of things. They jump into a boat to go preach in a place where the gospel had not gone before. There's no church there. This is effectively an unreached people group. There is no uh, community of faith. There's no, there's no uh, people who are thriving in their faith already. There's not like one, two, three great elders or leaders there already. They're going into a place um, that, that the culture was ingrained uh, to be without the gospel. They were immersed in, in pagan worship, a lot of traditions around Zeus in that time. Uh, and even their own philosopher will use this several times to help explain their culture. One of their own philosophers, one of their dudes, one of their guys that they respect and, and herald said this about Crete themselves. says that they are always liars. They're always evil beasts and lazy gluttons. If your philosopher says this about you and you're like, yeah, that's totally nailed it. There's some issues there. This is the culture that the gospel is going into. It has no roots and some really terrible habits, and they're going in. Now, even with the, the difficulty of kind of dropping into a culture and preaching about Jesus, what we call parachuting in, uh, the seemingly impossible started happening. They get on a boat, they go to preach, and people start coming to faith. They start following Jesus. People are living, are, are leaving their old way of, of life, and they're, they're following Jesus with their life. They're repenting of former sins, and they're finding a new life in Jesus. So they get on this boat to go preach, start speaking the gospel, and Man, people are getting saved. It's, it, it's amazing. This is fantastic news, but the reality is, remember, there's, there's no foundation there. Uh, the, the people who, who are coming to faith, the converts are brand new converts, which means that they're new to their faith. They're what Paul would call like baby Christians. It's not that they're not valuable or anything like that. Uh, there hasn't been enough time to, first of all, see if their profession of faith is even real, There hasn't been enough time to see if Jesus is just kind of a fad or a phase or a season to them. And friends, I think we know what that's like. Like we've seen people who seem to joyfully affirm Christ. They come to faith in Jesus and they're excited and they're they're into it and they're loving it and the community and the faith and all the stuff. They're, They're totally in. And then like a month later, you never see them again. Like enough time hasn't gone by to to know are they gonna do that? And we don't want to be suspicious of all people, but a little time needs to go by to kind of see, hey, was that profession real or was it not? Would it just be a fad for them? Uh, so later, a couple months later, uh, they, they want to see, hey, these people are abandoning their faith or are they growing? Are, are the cares of the world and the trials of the world, think of the parable of the soils here. 
Uh, Did that happen and and the gospel just never took root? So Paul and Titus had no way of seeing if the conversions uh, are real or lasting and they had not had enough time to see the people's character be built through a washing of uh, the word to tell if they have a good faith game or if they're just going to go back to their old way of lives or not. And this is the reason that Paul leaves without appointing elders. Because our mind could go, hey, Paul, if elders are so important, why didn't you do it yourself? Well, not enough time has gone by. They need to see what's happening there. They need to see a culture. They need to witness the character, uh, the, the wins and the falls of the people around before they potentially put anyone as a leader over the church. They need to make sure, hey, is this dude crazy? Is he growing in Jesus? Is he depending on Jesus? Is, does his life match all the words that he's saying? So Paul had to leave to give Timothy the time to witness what's going on and then appoint elders. So Paul writes back to Titus that, that he left him in Crete and he reminds him uh, of what he needs to prioritize above all else, what has to be done. And he says, remember, I want you to put things in order. This is big. There's, there's, there's a chaotic nature. If you were with us at any of the beginning of our church plan, if, and maybe even still 10 years in now, there can be a chaotic nature, needs to be put back into order. Paul says, put things in order to do this, appoint elders in every town, uh, just like I told you to do before, Titus, I'm reminding you, you still need to be about this. I have to think, how, how countercultural is that in the church planting advice world? Paul's advice for how to build uh, a church that's healthier and stronger, his non-negotiables, his what you need to do in church planting is not to go get a better building or a, a better location in town. It's not find a, a primo spot to, to, to put your sign. It is not get a better sound system or vision casting. In our terms, it's not better uh, a web presence or web streaming so people may have that as a front door. That, that it's none of that. He, he says the focus that you need to do in order to make disciples through the word, if you want to get there, you need to appoint elders. There's a ton of other systematic things that may be valuable for, for a structure, but if you want a healthy church, you need to prioritize elders. He had to be left there to give the people enough time to develop in their faith so that their lives uh, could see if, if the change was filtering down into their character. And again, this takes time. What we need to understand is elders don't grow on trees and get delivered to you like groceries. It'd be awesome if they did, but that's just not the way it works. Uh, they, they don't get picked off of a resume board and brought in either. Elders uh, hopefully grow in the local church to lead that local church and sometimes get sent out to lead elsewhere as well. This process isn't quick. Uh, it takes time to develop. There's character work. There's a bunch of things that needs to, to happen, uh, but that process can't be ignored. Uh, it's it said quite often one of the biggest downfalls of a church plant is, is placing the wrong people in the eldership role because it'll destroy people and it'll destroy the culture. So Titus is giving time to, to, to see who should be an elder and who should not, who's growing, who's depending on Jesus, whose faith is being molded and who's chasing after Christ and, and who is not. Over the, the years, in conjunction with the time that is going by, over the years since church planting, we've had some interesting scenarios come to us. Uh, I, I would say in the beginning of all church plants, in the very beginning, you have the most interesting scenarios. If you're around in the ark, you saw some of them. Uh, in, in times in, in the ark, especially our very first place of gathering, uh, people will come in and, and they'll attend their very first service and, and they'll be really excited and be like, hey man, if you need me to preach, just let me know. Okay. If you need someone to like cover worship for you, gotcha. If you, you need any teaching, uh, I, I can do that. And they're just declaring that like, hey, if you'll let me lead, I'm happy to help you. And that always puts me in the weird spot where I'm like, thanks. And you just kind of smile and then file that in the back pocket of not going to happen. Uh, 
and, and the reason is, is this. We do not let people speak over and lead the church when we don't know who they are. Like, first of all, I'm trying really just to remember your name still. I do not know what type of person you are. Uh, we, we cannot let voices that we don't know speak into because it hurts us. It, it hurts the people. Now, uh, to be fair, like most of the people who did this were innocent and just not very smart about what they were doing. Like they didn't, they didn't mean poor. They just got really, really excited and didn't realize like that's not a smart thing to do. Uh, but that happens a lot. They were prioritizing perceived gifts over character. That's the big part. My gift is so valuable. Don't worry about getting to know me. Just like, man, I, I, I can play that guitar. I can sing. I can, I can, I can preach. I can do all this. Uh, thinking maybe that, that the gifts could be useful here. And this is why I say they, don't, they didn't mean it maliciously in their heart. They're really just going, hey, you're a, a new church plant. Maybe I can help you. Um, but what we see in this text and what we see models, we never do that. We never put talents over gifts because people get hurt that way. We need to see a person's character before we invite them in to speak over and teach over or influence what the Bible calls our sheep, our people, you and me. And um, I told him I was going to say something just like right before and didn't really ask him if he was cool with it. But a beautiful example of this over the last little bit for our local church is really Clayton and Amanda. If you don't know them, you should. They're awesome. They're a gift to us in our church. But here's the cool deal. Uh, they came in after moving from another place, leading a college ministry uh, for years. They, they had led small groups, discipleship groups. Clayton had preached, led worship. They do a great job tag teaming, uh, leading. Amanda leads a lot of ladies there. They, they've had just a long line of premarital counseling. All of these things that they do really, really well. But what they arrived here, they didn't try and jump in and lead anything. Uh, they didn't ask, hey, hey, can I do this or can I do this? What you'd often do is you'd find Clayton up here winding up cords when, when he wasn't on setup or teardown. He's just going, how can I help you? And he began to get to know our church and uh, become a, a critical part of our missional community and serve the church and love us. And the really cool part is they really clearly loved uh, like my family, our kids started hanging out. They'd meet and, and not go like, hey, what can I do in the church? They would meet and, and go, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? COVID's hard. Like, I, I just, I want to love you and care for you. Like, there's a beautiful thing that was happening there. Uh, so over this time, what was really great for us is the elders got to see the man's character before he ever offered his gifts up. That was a great thing. Then this summer, after faithfully being a part, becoming a member, what happened? Clayton began to lead worship uh, and also got his first rep in preaching, which is going to be more later this year. Clayton and Amanda together are helping uh, help lead some of our, our missional community stuff in the hopes of when we multiply, having more, more leaders there. This is the way that it's kind of meant to go. And now as a church, we get the beauty of getting to benefit from their talents, which Jesus gave them, because we know their heart and their character. We don't have to go like, hey, they're really good at this, but are they crazy? You don't have to, like, you don't have to do that, man. You see a heart and a beauty and a love and a care there to where you're going, man, this is amazing. God has brought you to, to be a part, and that's the way things should be. It's the way it's supposed to be. This is why, uh, really, you have Titus staying back is because he needs to see the potential elders and the potential leaders before ever letting them lead over uh, the people, uh, so, so we get the side of time. He's left there because it's going to take a little while. Then Paul starts telling Titus what he needs to look for in the guys that he, that he appoints. Because he's not just going like, who doesn't fall off in six months? 
You're going, hey, there's some things that, that you need to remember and look for in the people. And, and a couple jump off points that may be helpful. We are at Redemption Hill what we call complementarians. Um, what I like to say now is soft complementarians because there's some crazy complementarians I don't really line up with. Uh, but what that means is we believe that both sexes are equal in value and worth and dignity. Uh, both sexes, both genders uh, ha- have amazing gifts. Both genders can teach and lead and do amazing things in the church. But what we see in the word of God is there is one role and one role only that is, is just for, for men. So, so we hold to that. Uh, what I want to say is we don't believe that women can't lead. Uh, like I just talked about before, there's an evangelism training later, uh, and, and there's going to be two wonderfully gifted ladies who's going to teach you more than I will. Like, and it's going to be good. Like we believe that our ladies are gifted and skilled. Uh, we just see that the Bible commands that God has wired things in such a way that are just one single spot that are just men, and we just want to honor him that. Uh, ladies here, when we're going to speak of character and discipline and sacrifice that are acquired uh, from male eldership, uh, I, I want to just say this. I think if we looked closer b- behind the curtain, if we, if we looked under the hood, what we would find is we probably have more women who are qualified in selfless serving and disciplined lifestyle uh, and care than we do guys. I think that's the truth. We have more ladies who are going, what can I do? Where we have more guys going, ah, it doesn't sound fun. Man, I'm grateful for you. Man, we need you. I hope that you feel appreciated and valued, even if there's an area, especially in our our culture right now. I I hope that you feel loved and cared for here. And here's what I'd say. Please don't disregard or check out because this is about uh, men. Uh, Keep calling us to follow Jesus. We need you to know the standard and call us out if we're not it. And we need you to pray with us that God will mature more elders here in the church. So, man, I love you and I'm grateful for you. You, you. We, in 10 years, we wouldn't exist without you. Um, so also, guys, here, I want to say this. If you're not an elder and don't have any plans to be, know that this text is still about the man that you should be. Uh, these qualifications are not meant to be the qualifications of the 1% of the elite believers in the world. That's not it. These uh, qualifications, character-wise, are to be for all Christian men. Um, it isn't a bar that you should miss. You should aim for it, whether you're an elder or not, and you should clear it. Uh, And know that. Here's the other thing. If you would have asked me 15 years ago, will I plant a church or be a lead pastor, I would say no. Maybe 16. I'm getting old. I don't know. If you would ask me before if I would do this, I'd say, there ain't no way, man. Tell me, hey, you're going to be a pastor and like all these other things. I'd be like, I'd laugh at you. Just because it's not in your current plans doesn't mean it's not in God's. Further, when we get in, some of it, I think you know it's in God's plans and you just haven't submitted to it yet. But, but I'm praying that God calls more men to aspire to the character of elder first and some to actually desire to lead in an eldership role as well. Just because you think it's not you, don't think it can't be you. Now, some of the, the character traits Titus needs to look for when appointing elders are they need to be above reproach and blameless. Uh, blameless. In other translations, uh, it... it yeah, it says blameless. The husband of one life, one wife, and their kids must be believers. Uh, we're going to have to explain a lot of these things because the original language in our translation doesn't do us any favors. But what we want to notice on the front side is it begs the question before a man can be an elder, it begs the question, what type of man are you in your life as you live? 
right? It's going to look at not just what type of man are you in the church service and like you put on your button-up shirt and act all nice. And what, it's not just what type of man are you at MC or a Bible study or something like that, but what type of man are you in normal places, in your home, with your kids, in your marriage if you're married, in your job, in all the areas, what type of man are you all the time, not just what type of man do we see some of the time. Uh, To be above reproach or blameless does not mean that you are perfect. We've got to say it as clearly as we can. There's one perfect one that is a savior. It's the only way that we are saved. It is not an elder. But to be above reproach is to have this idea that you have a good reputation uh, and, and accusations can't be made against you. It means when most people hear your name or think of you, they don't immediately have their mind run to something that's no good, right? Oh, yeah, that guy, super, super cutthroat business, dude. Yikes, great in the church, good leader. He can sing. Dude is mean in the business world. That's, that's not going to work. Uh, it, it can't be a, a person who has a, a, a shady side to them that everyone kind of knows about or a sin habit that you're like, oh, he's so talented, but like, man, he, he gets drunk a lot. Like, that can't be it. An elder has to be thought of as a good person, basically meaning it doesn't mean that nobody doesn't like them. If that were the case, none of us could be elders. It just means when most people think about them, they're not all going, Ugh. And the reason for this is, is to be a person that believers follow, you can't be seen as a slimy person. Nobody wants to follow that guy, right? They may want to, uh, to, to get on their coattails if they want some sort of worldly scheme of power, but nobody wants to actually be led at a heart level by that type of person. So you're saying, hey, you don't have to be perfect, but you cannot be just kind of a, a, a dirty guy trying to lead the people of God. Uh, next, it says the, the text that the guy has to be the husband of one wife. Now, this means something different than what you may think of. In the original language, it says that they must be a one-woman type of man. That's what it says. Uh, this means that a single guy can still be an elder. And in some cases, someone who has been remarried, if it fits under a biblical mold, uh, it it doesn't mean that they can't be an elder either. But it speaks to uh, just an attitude. When you think of that guy, are they connected to one woman type of man? Or are they a womanizer jumping around? Loves to flirt. Loves the ladies. that, That can't be an elder. This is speaking to a, a faithfulness and consistency in relationships and oneness with one person. And this pushes past, is the guy a cheater or not? And, and it asks really uh, questions about cultivating oneness in the primary relationship that they have been given. We've got to speak honestly about kind of what this means. If a guy doesn't cheat, but he likes to stare at yoga pants and make comments, dude's out, can't be an elder. Right? If a guy doesn't cheat, but, but, but he regularly has uh, situations of, of falling into porn, cannot be an elder. If he doesn't cheat, but he just loves to kind of make these emotional connection with other women besides his wife, it's not cheating, but just like this connection, you're like, dude, I don't know, can't be an elder. Underneath all of that is if a man is married and he won't cultivate health in his marriage, in the primary relationship that God has gifted him, Uh, then he has no business trying to lead or cultivate health in the church, right? If you can't cultivate health in your family in that relationship, you're not going to cultivate health in the other people in the church. Again, this doesn't mean that a single guy can't be an elder. If a single guy is dating a new girl every three months, that dude can't be an elder. 
it's, it's consistency and steadiness. A one-woman type of guy. Next, Paul says that the man's children should be believers, not wild and disobedient. They use some other words in, in, in the ESV. Uh, this is another example where the original language really matters. These elder qualifications transferring into our language, they're, they're difficult. Um, when Paul says children, the wording means, it's a very specific word, it means little kids, like smaller, younger, elementary, like not thinking on their own yet sort of thing. Uh, so not necessarily teens or adults. And, and here's the understanding of what he's getting at. Most kids in their early years believe what is taught in their household, right? Their beliefs reflect their home life. So if they're being raised in a Christian home, uh, if, the, if, if the father is setting a trajectory uh, forward where they're, where they're growing in their faith, they're talking about their faith, they're practicing their faith, they're, they're regularly learning to serve and grow and sacrifice and church is important to them and regular, th- then the church will most often reflect the faith that is being reflected in the home. You, you catching it? They'll mirror it back, right? Well, this is what we grow in. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we are, um, this is why he says that, that, that in that, that home, the, the kids should feel like believers because the home should be a place uh, where, where, where Christian foundation is set up. And, and if that's not the case, then how's the guy going to set up a foundation in the church if he won't even set up a foundation in his home? His primary ministry, if you won't do it there, faithful and little, faithful and much, how are you going to do it with like 20, 30, whatever other people? The text says that there should also be discipline for the uh, for the child's good instilled, right? So the, they, they should follow the parent's faith and they should have discipline instilled over them, teaching the, the kids to submit to the parents just as the parents submit to God. That's an important one. Not do so because I'll spank you, but do so teaching them that submission is good. It places boundaries and appropriate punishment for children's good so that they don't run around like little monsters, Right? Do you teach them about God and do you set boundaries to teach them what type of people they should be? These say Paul, or these Paul says are required of a man in order to be an elder at a church. Now, uh, what we need to understand is only God saves. Like we're not leaving our theology to go to this weird spot. So if a child grows up and they begin to think on their own and go, like, I don't, I don't know that I want to do the family thing, I don't believe that, and they become an unbeliever or they just never follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that that has to be a disqualifier, but a home where the father doesn't lead the family in the faith, uh, where he rarely talks about the faith, doesn't care about taking the mantle of spiritual leadership, rarely invests in the home, uh, and doesn't really seem to care uh, about discipling the kids or the family or anything like that, this type of man cannot be an elder. Again, if a man won't lead his home in their faith, how are you going to lead a church. There's zero chance that they can, will, or are qualified to lead others. In, in biblical terms, he's kind of serving as a resume. Right? If, if this is your home, you should be doing this there. Oh, well, I didn't for a number of reasons. Well, then you're not going to do it here. That's just the logic. Now, if an, old, an elder brings order to the church, part of that order is also discipline. Uh, an elder at times must call people to repent. This is the side for some people. Uh, They must place boundaries. They must say, no, you can't do that in certain times. But if a man won't do that at home, with his own children, with his own flesh and blood, if you you won't set up boundaries, just even in the house, 
then he's not going to do it in the church either. You understand that? If, you, if, if, if you're a toddler, you won't say, buddy, you can't do that. Then a grown man that you're, you're worried about a conflict with, you're definitely not going to tell them to stop. It's, again, understanding that your home mission field has to be one that you're serving in faithfully before you ever go, hey, I'm going to go serve in this other one and do a really good job there as well. And I'll clarify, right, for us, this doesn't, this doesn't mean that your kids never disobey, right? That's not what it means. It means that the man leads them in their faith consistently, and there's healthy discipline involved. He isn't disinterested and disengaged uh, from the family and the faith, and he isn't disinterested or disengaged from the kid's behavior if he has kids. Faithful to the marriage, faithful to disciple the home, faithful to put some discipline systems in when needed, present and active in teaching the kids about God and how to be decent human beings. Not a crazy high bar, but in our world of guys going like, ah, just rather not, like it seems like a high bar involved. So if a guy says, uh, kids, you can grow up and choose whatever faith that you want. Dude can't be an elder. He may, he may, may be a nice dad, shouldn't be an elder. If a father says, you know, I don't care what you believe or if you believe or not, can't be an elder. He's not raising them in the faith. If the guy is too preoccupied with life and I'm bringing home the bacon and I'm making the money and disciplining the kids as woman work and you take care of it, if he's doing any of that, dude can't be an elder. Why? He's shirking his responsibility in his home. Can't do that. Interested, faithful, present, spiritually leading men are required. There can be no exceptions uh, because these things are needed to elder. Again, it, it's a proof case. The sheep and the church are affected. If the guy won't lead the home, he's not going to lead you. And if the guy won't try and put systems in the home, he's not, he's not going to help you. He's not going to care about you. So Paul's going, hey, make sure you look for these things because it's going to be really important. I, all the promises that they give you, oh, I'm going to start, I'm going to do it now, and I, I'm sure I can do it. He goes, they're not. They're just not. Paul mentioned what the character of an elder in the home must be like. And next he bends talking about the overall character of an elder everywhere, right? He transfers home to everywhere. Remember, we're not just interested in, in what a person is like around churchy things or just their wife or kids. It's what are they like? What are they like, like in, in all of life? He says an elder must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunk, violent, or greedy. He must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Uh, Tim Chester says, in the West, we have a generation of men who want to live and are encouraged to live in, in perpetual uh, state of being a child. This is the encouragement. Um, they aim to avoid responsibility uh, rather than, than bearing it. They, they follow instead of lead in, in the homes, not, not because they can't, but just because they don't care. They're just indifferent. I'll let, let, let her do it. Uh, They they want the benefits of married life while keeping the benefits of single life. This is not the type of man who can be an elder. This is what Paul's saying. In modern culture, in our culture as well, uh, men are arrogant in themselves, not committed or submitting. Uh, They're they're prone in our culture to to quick tempers, to hot takes, to to pride, uh, really priding themselves on, look around. Men pride themselves on how much they drink all the time. What do we do? Ah, you know, got hammered. It, it's, it's a culture that, that is ingrained. They, they love violence, violent themes. They are not agents of peace. They are greedy, and greed is even labeled as, oh, he's driven. See that? It, it's not called greed. It's something else. It, it seems like the trend for modern men culturally is to be the exact thing that Paul says that dude can be an elder. 
feel that. This is what our culture pushes forward and guys gravitate to. This is being like the world. And Paul says, and I can't press this enough, leaders in the church can't look like the world. This is what he's trying to say. Yeah, I understand the culture's pressing this way, and this is what they're all doing, and this is what is happening, but to lead, you can't do that. No Christian should look like the world. Remember, this is not supposed to be a bar that only the elites can make, but elders cannot look like the world. They have to go against the current of the culture, against what is popular, against what is considered powerful, and here's some of the trades, again, through Christ and the beauty of Jesus and Jesus alone. Elders, because of grace and grace alone, trade arrogance for a hospitable demeanor in an open home. Right? Arrogance is, I'm better. I won't, I won't be a part like all these other things. Hospitality makes yourself low, opens the door, and says, "Come in, come be a part." Uh, trades a temper for the love of good, a deep desire for good to happen so deep that they'll actually put their own hands into it. Trading drunkenness for self-control. This unanchored um, life for, for an upright life and trades greed for holiness and discipline. We must understand even if this is unpopular, this is what it takes to be a biblical man. I, I can't say it clearly enough. Manhood's getting trashed in culture all over to where guys don't even know what to do, I don't think. Manhood is not about being macho. Um, it's not about sexual conquest for sure. It's not about wealth and it's not about drunkenness. Some of the, the, the theologians over the generations of time have said, not just in our culture alone, they, they've said this, manhood is about taking responsibility in such a way that other people around you flourish. That's a man. Right? It's, not, it's not all these like bravado things. It's learning to control your desires to give yourself away so that others thrive. This is biblical manhood. Again, this is not, those guys are so awesome. Where are they getting at? They're looking at Jesus. It's about stop living for you and you alone and live like Christ did. This means something. To be a biblical man, especially one that can be qualified for an elder, is to be dedicated, faithful, sacrificial, controlled, and hear this. Because I feel like probably some of our guys, maybe even in shame, are, are, are reaching back. It also means you're ordinary. This is not a rock star or an elite or, or anything like that. Dedicated, sacrificial, controlled, ordinary. This is what we're required to elder a church. This is non-negotiable. For far too long, unqualified men have led and caused a lot of trauma. And I've talked about this a lot. There are so many people deconstructing and so mad. And I don't think all deconstruction is because of this. But I would own and say that probably a decent part of deconstruction or a portion of it is men who are not qualified leading for greedy gain and treating people in certain ways to get things out of them and it's hurt them. This is why this is here. It's trying to avoid that. Again, if you're thinking, wow, this seems to be, like, I'm sure he definitely lined this up with pastor appreciation. Like, this is like an awkward elder message, and he's talking about one of the roles that he's in. And, like, I get it. This is not trying to give us a savior complex or a, a perfect persona over the church at all. Um, an elder is not a perfect man, a great man. He's just a dependent man, and any good that has come out of him is by Christ and Christ alone. I'm going to be really, really careful. We're not trying to... Ooh, puff up in this like weird reverence way. Again, Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught 
so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Any good that comes, any transformation that comes, any character that has been developed, any fruit in the faith that have come out of a life of an elder is, is brought through Jesus alone through a regular washing of the word. Remember, we saw this even in our intro. How do we grow in the faith, this consistent washing of uh, the word. So an elder isn't a guy who has figured out how to be awesome. An elder is a guy that Jesus saved, and now he's clinging to the word and Christ. And that truth is doing a consistent work in their heart. Normally it's slow, and it takes a lot of time, and Jesus changes that person from the inside out into a way where it's safe for that guy to lead. Like before the change, due to blow up everything. And then Jesus begins to change and change and change to a point where, hey, he understands the heart of the Savior and wants to lead with that. And here's the beautiful part of what, what eldership looks like. Jesus has changed them from the inside out to a person who can lead. And then they de- declare to the church, hey, you can do it too. Hey, here's the word. Here's what changes us. That's why they're, that's why they're fighting uh, a false doctrine. That's why they're always holding to the word is they know they didn't change themselves. It was only the word that changed them. So he's going, hey, come with me. Let's, let's keep doing this word thing together and watch as it changes all of us. Elders can't have a savior complex because they know fully well it's only the savior that saved them. Does it mean an elder can mess up and be prideful at a time? Absolutely. But any good they know underneath, a qualified man will know it's Christ and Christ alone. They end up driving the ship and clinging to the word, searching for God's will with the people. And they say, as Paul did, imitate me as far as I imitate Christ. What about the ways that you don't imitate Christ? Don't, don't imitate me there. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. They know that only Jesus has saved them, um, and only the word is what can change men and women. Um, it talks about in here, too, because they know that they didn't change themselves and it was only Jesus through the word, this is why it says they cling to the word. Why? Because there's no other way. There's no self-help. There's no other thing that is going to bring health. It is only the word and word alone. So it says they teach the word and cling to it, exactly for what it says. Holding firm to the word is taught. We see it everywhere right now. This is what I've talked about and, and like wanted to instill in us. There's all these worldviews that are competing with a biblical worldview. And the, 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 the great pressure of our culture and our day and, um, is really to mold into new interpretations. Elders don't leave orthodoxy to appease people. Right, the historical word of God, they hold to it and they cling to it and they will fight for it. Why? Because they're in trouble without it and so are you. So they'll preach the word as preached, leading in a way that holds that truth instead of trying to peddle some other truth and, and they will go after people who peddle other truths. Why? Because again, it'll hurt you. A great way to summarize all of this, if you haven't listened to much, is that elders in a church anywhere bring order to the chaos while pointing to Jesus and emulating him. Part of how they do this is the way that they live their life. And the other part is by defending the teaching that the flock hears. Right? They bring order by the life they live and by defending the flock and what they hear. They lead through example and lead through truth always. They are not perfect. They are not God's gift to the world. Nothing like that. They just point to Jesus, follow Jesus, talk about Jesus, hold the church to living faithfully to Jesus, 
And I cling to that over and over and over again. As we begin to land the plane, I realize that a text about elder qualifications may seem weird. But here's the deal. It's in the word for a reason. We went through this just a couple weeks ago. Our holding to the word. It is there to teach and build up and help and equip and rebuke where necessary. So this text about qualifications is valuable to us. Right? Because not understanding it sends our health sideways. My hope for us in this then. Right? Because we're not going like, hey, do you personally need to repent here necessarily? We're saying, hey, what we want to do is understand the qualifications well. And, and then we want to today pray in thankfulness and supplication together. I think that's the proper thing to do. Thankfulness that God has developed some, some other wonderful dudes to lead here. Right? They're more than, there's more than just one person caring for your soul. Garrett and Blake have grown into fully qualified, gifted, wonderful men that, that we trust. You're not looking at them going, ah. Oh. They love you. They've been developed. They care well. My heart is thankful for them. And I hope that you are, this is what I meant about praying in thankfulness. I hope that you see the beauty of more than one person leading you in just a dumpster fire that is the COVID era, right? It's been good. So just in response to God, you've raised up a couple people who care really well for the church and they try and care for me. Thank you for that. Does it mean they're your best friends and you get them along with them on everything? Like maybe, maybe not. But I think it is a beauty if God has raised up men to care for the church. So we go, hey, thanks for doing that. Right? We could have a podcast about us. If you're catching the drift. But you're raising up men and hopefully we'll be led well. And I hope that you would also pray that God develops more elders here at Redemption Hill. Uh, that we um, would have more qualified Jesus-loving men that would grow into a role of eldership. Some of you guys, and I've talked to a couple of you about it. But here's the thing, God is calling some of you to more, uh, and I, my, my hope is that you just stop ignoring it, right? Um, that propensity to run away from what's hard, if God's calling you to eldership, don't do that, man. Don't do that. One, he'll hunt you down, he'll get you. <laughs> but, but seriously, like, don't avoid it. There's a beautiful thing uh, in doing that. And I'd be happy to take a group of you, I've talked to a couple about it, through just gospel-centered eldership to learn what it looks like to be a qualified elder in a church. If you want to go through that with us, l- let me know. But we need more elders to help us grow and be healthy here as a church, and we want to develop more elders. At some point, we want to send out a church planter. I don't care if they call themselves Redemption's Hill, but how beautiful would it be to, 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 to have a person grow in the faith and then go and start and have another body of Christ grow that just starts through just a healthy practice of developing people here. That's the hope. God, thank you that you develop people already. Lord, we pray and ask that you would develop more. Give us your grace and your mercy consistently. We need you. It is you and you alone who does this. Please do it some more. That's the hope. Band, you guys can come back up. We will have communion available for you today. Um, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, where I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, even in a week that we're just talking about elder qualifications, the only reason that we're in the church, the only reason that we have a faith, the only reason that we are a body of believers is Christ and Christ alone. 
So if you're going like, I don't know how that connects to this type of message, we'd have no church, let alone elders, if it weren't for Jesus. So we want to take and worship today as we're praying in thankfulness and praying that God would, would do more and, and work out more healthy leadership all over the picture here. We also, in a personal level, go, God, you've done all of this. Thank you. And you have, you have covered my sins. It is you and you alone, your body, your blood, your faithfulness, your goodness. It's the only thing that saves any of us and develops any of us. We, we thank you for that. So I pray that you would take an encouragement of that. God is good and he is merciful and he is kind and he's built a church of people that get to follow him and it's only because of him. Would you stand and pray with me?